If you'll turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 15, or look up on the screen, whichever you prefer. We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 15 today. There's a story that came out of Charlotte, North Carolina, of a lawyer who purchased a box of very rare and very expensive cigars. He then insured them for the normal things, flood, theft, fire, such things like that. Within a month of having these cigars, he had smoked them all. And before he had even made an insurance payment, he filed a claim for the loss of the cigars. In the claim, he said they were lost in a series of 24 small fires. (laughs) Went to court and the lawyer won. The judge said he, he agreed with the insurance company that it was a frivolous lawsuit. But the insurance policy that he had stated that the insurance company would insure them against fire. And it did not specify what types of fire they were. So the, the lawyer was received his check for $15,000, deposited in the bank, and then received an, uh, uh, another lawsuit. And he was taken to court by the insurance company for arson. They said he was responsible for 24 individual arson uh, incidents of setting fire to his own insured property. It went before the judge, and the judge decided in the insurance company's favor, he was fined $24,000 and 24 months in jail. <laughs> oh, my. Sometimes we gotta, we got to lay things out a little bit better and define them a little bit more than what we just kind of, you can't just assume things. Insurance company might just assume that a fire is known. We may just assume that we understand faith. We understand a lot of the principles of faith, but there's something that gets Jesus' attention. And two times in the New Testament, he said, great faith. He called something great faith. So what is it that causes these two people to have great faith while others are said to have no faith or weak faith or some faith? Some people, their faith are just called faith. But these two situations are called great faith. We looked at one last week and we're going to review just some of that. Uh, before, the, before last week, we went over the woman with the issue of blood, how she heard about Jesus, how she believed how she proclaimed with her mouth what she believed, and she acted on that. She can, confession is not just saying something repeatedly. Remember, it is a proclamation of what you come to believe. Last week, we looked at the centurion and how he first of all sent the elders of the Jews to Jesus to make a request. And then when they didn't quite get it right, he sent his friends. The centurion did not change his mind. He did not correct his statement. He brought his statement in, in line with what he believed because the elders of the Jews did not approach Jesus, right? They approached him in such a way, remember what we called it? Merit and mercy. Look who he is. Look at what he's done. He deserves mercy. He deserves these things. But Jesus went with them anyway. Spirit probably told him, go ahead. There's something there. He had intended the request to be made on great faith instead of mercy and merit. 
Jesus' two statements about his faith were such. I have not seen such great faith. I have not seen such great faith. And also to the centurion, as you have believed. As you have believed. We left off last week with, do our prayers contain the residue of merit and mercy? How many times have we prayed and there's a residue of things that are not word-based? There's merit. There's mercy in there. Because of that, we're just not seeing the results that we need to see. There's that residue from some of the things that we were taught before. Do our prayers contain the residue of merit and mercy, or are they saturated with the power of faith and belief in the word, power, and the goodness of God? So we left left off with this question, what makes for great faith? In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21, Jesus went out from there and departed into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I know it is faith that gets Jesus' attention, but how is this woman approaching Jesus? On mercy. Look at what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. If she's going to appeal to the mercy side of God, Jesus says, I'm not sent. And I'm not sent to anyone but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it defines her as a Canaanite woman. She is not a Samaritan. She is not an Israelite. She is a Canaanite woman of the region of Tyre and Sidon. Who are the Canaanites? They're the people Israel was supposed to kick out of the land back in the days of Joshua. And they didn't do it. And so they continued to reside with them all these years. And here in Jesus' day, we still have Canaanite women. Canaanite men, I'm sure, as well. But she's uh, probably very identifiable because uh, especially, uh, we still see it even today, different cultures have different ways of dressing. Different ways that they wear their hair. Different ways that they, uh, uh, the men of some cultures have beards. Some of them have trim beards. Some of them have untrimmed beards. Some societies have men with shaved face. It's all a little bit different. But it's uh, very much a cultural thing. And so you can look at someone, even today, and say, oh, that person's from, based on how they're dressed. Or based on some of the things that they, they uh, do, say, whatever. I'm sure it was the same back then. And so you could identify the Canaanite woman as she didn't dress like an Israelite. Probably didn't dress like a Samaritan. In Mark chapter 7, this is the same story. In verse 24, we have another reason for Jesus' silence. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. <laughs> but he could not be hidden. So he did not want anyone to know that he was there. Have you ever done that? You ever gone someplace and didn't want anyone to know who you were? Or whether you were there? You just didn't want to engage anyone? You didn't want to have conversation? Or maybe you've gone to a place and you thought, well, some people here know me, but I really don't have time to get involved in a conversation. And so you want to just kind of get in there and get out. Isn't that the better way to do it? 
at, at times because sometimes we're just not ready to engage in conversation. Now, that doesn't happen so much in small towns. My uh, mom used to tell me that, you know, you might just want to go out when she was down in North Carolina. She may just, you might just want to go out to the deli to get some meat, but that's not all that you do because the guy behind the counter talks to you and then the people that you're at the register, they talk to you and the post office, they talk to you. I lived in a few small towns. There's uh, one town I lived in, they did not deliver mail. You had to go to the post office and pick it up. And there's only one person who worked in the post office. That was their job. And when they were there, the post office was open. And so when you went in there to get your mail, this is who you saw. So she got to know everybody in the town. And you just couldn't go in and pick up your mail. Here's a conversation. How things going? What's happening? What's going on over here? And, you know, sometimes you're just not ready for that conversation. You ever been there for that? And I'm not going to go pick up the mail today because I'm not ready for the conversation. Don't have time, so I'll pick it up some other time. Sometimes we had that. Whatever the reason, Jesus, he does not want to be engaged. He does not, he does not want people to talk to him. He wants to go through the town and leave and get on to where he is heading to. Whatever the reason, he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. Now, obviously, the people in the house knew he was there. Kind of being trouble if they didn't. But he didn't want anybody else to know it. He just kind of wanted to hide out in the house for a little bit, get some rest for the rest of the part of the journey he was doing. Now, here's the reason why. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell down at his feet. The reason Jesus couldn't get through here without being noticed was because of this woman. He was doing fine until this woman came along. She saw them. She came, fell down at her feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Kept asking. I meant more than one time. More than two times. She kept at it. She kept asking. You ever been there in the store, grocery store, wherever it might be, and you see the kids keep asking mom or dad, whoever at the store with, can I have whatever? Can I have some? Can I have? Can, can I have? Can I have? Can I have? And you keep every time you pass them out. Can I have? Can I have? <laughs> keep asking. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. And how irritating has that been to you when you've been in the store and you heard somebody keep asking? Well, how irritating do you think it is for the person, the mom or the dad who's in the store? Well, here it is. Jesus is having someone who keeps asking, but he's not bothered by it. The people that are bothered are the disciples. Will you send her away? They don't say, will you just grant her the request and send her away? Will you get rid of her? Tell her to go away. They saw she was a Canaanite woman. They probably didn't really care that Jesus met her request. But Jesus purposed to pass through unnoticed, and this woman was getting in the way of that. Verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Worship is different from mercy. She came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, this time he got a, she got a reply, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, Jesus is going to go on and he's going to call this woman's faith great. So there has to be something in these verses that tells us why her faith is great. Because this is what got Jesus' attention. Look at it again. She says, Lord, help me. 
But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now you can read this and you can kind of get the idea that he's calling her a dog. How many people would be offended at that? <laughs> you get a little bit offended at that. But he's, I think he's more using a, a story here. Look, the food that comes to the table is purposed for the family. Right? How many of you uh, moms, maybe even dads, make dinner at home for the family? How many of you purpose it for the dog? No, you don't purpose it for the dog. The dog may get some, <laughs> but you don't purpose it. You didn't sit there making the dinner, the, the whatever it was. You didn't do all the seasoning, all the cooking, all the mixing of things. You didn't do that for the dog. You did it for the family. That's the purpose. What Jesus is saying here is that he has not come, because Jesus told us in the, in the statement before, I am not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what he is talking about here is the ministry that Jesus has is for Israel. That's the, that's the purpose for it. This ministry has been purposed for Israel the same way that dinner has been purposed for the family. He knows the day will come when it will go out to more. But for right now, this is where it is. Now, I like the response because she could have taken this in the wrong way. She could have argued. She could have said, well, wait a minute. How come we can't sit at the table? How many of you would like that argument? You know, we're people too. We need salvation too. We would like to sit at the table. How come we can't? And they could argue these things. And this is what a lot of people do when truth comes to them. But look at what she says. Yes, Lord... Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. There's a lot of different ways you can translate this. I do like the way the King James translated it over the New King James. The New King James says, yes, Lord. The King James says this, truth. Truth, Lord. She understood that what he was saying was truth. You get that same meaning when she says yes. She's agreeing with it. All right, that's truth. That's truth. Now, I put this in your outline. In what ways does truth come to us? Truth comes to us in a number of ways, and I tried to order these from the direction for which they come. Uh, the, the most important, the first three are kind of the most important, and the other one's not so much. But truth comes to us, first off, by what we hear. The Word of God talks a whole lot about us coming to the truth by what we hear. How shall they believe except that they hear, and how shall they hear except they so forth. There's the hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So one way the truth comes to us is by hearing. We hear it. Now, how many of you all know that just because you heard truth doesn't mean you recognized it? Ever, ever have something go on where you heard a truth and it took you years to recognize that the truth was right? Long time before. Oh, that was right. I thought that was wrong. I didn't think that was correct. So the first thing it comes from is what we hear. Secondly, by what we see. You can talk about seeing in the natural. You can also talk about seeing in the spirit. Jesus says, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But it also talks about those who have eyes to see. That seeing, they shall not perceive. Because they're not seeing correctly. They're not seeing what they should be seeing. So there's hearing. 
they're seen or all of a sudden the light is turned on and you see you didn't hear anything. But your eyes were open and you saw it. How many times has that revelation come to you where all of a sudden the light was turned on? Oh, I got it now. And you saw it. Third, sense. Or in parentheses, you can put intuition. Just something on the inside of you is telling you, hmm, I think it's this way. I, I, I think this is what's happened. You ever had a problem on a car or in your body or in your home or some kind of a place like that? And just on the inside of you, something comes up. It might be this. Hmm. You didn't hear that. Nobody said it to you. The light wasn't suddenly turned on. You didn't see it. But just a sense that comes up on his eye. I, I, I think it's this way. I think it's, it's something like this. Sometimes that can be true. Sometimes it may not be. Uh, fourth, through what we accept. I put in parentheses, reported. Things that are reported to you that you just accept. Have you ever heard of a time when a doctor has come and brought his report and said, you are going to... You have such and such. It will be. And they say these things to you. And then sometimes we just accept it. Maybe a relative. Maybe a friend. Maybe an enemy. Brings a report of who they think you are. And sometimes we just accept it. You know, little kids, they're growing up. Little, little kids. And kids around them say, you're ugly. Is it true? <laughs> Probably not. But after a while, that they become, then they accept it. Accept it. Rick Renner has a wonderful story he tells, and I'm not the storyteller that Rick Renner is. But he talks about a story where he went to school at the same school that his father went to. <laughs> elementary school. And lo and behold, one of the teachers, I think it was for math, was the same teacher that his father had. But his father did something in class that the teacher didn't like. It's been a little while since I heard the story, so I forgot what it was that the father did. But whatever it was, the teacher didn't like it, and she held a grudge all these years. And when his name came up on the roll call, she looked at that. And I, do you remember what his father's name was? I can't think of what his father's name was. But his, he was a, a Rick Renner, and I think his father was something similar, like Rich, or, but something, something similar. It wasn't Rick. And so they, she called him by that name, Rich Renner. I'll just say that because I'm going to assume that that's what it was. And um, he said, uh, ma'am, my name is Renner, but it's Ricky Renner. Are you the son of Rich Renner? I am. And he said her face changed. It contorted to this awful look. And she goes, stupid. Stupid. From now on, you will be called Stupid Renner. And in school, he was called Stupid Renner. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) And so pretty soon, all the kids around him started calling him Stupid Renner. Stupid Renner. And that name stuck for a long time. And he began to say, I began to believe I was stupid because of what this teacher was, was doing. See, sometimes things can come to us and we just accept them and they become truth. We shouldn't do that, but sometimes we do. 
Sometimes our body tells us something and we accept it. Sometimes our bank account tells us something and we accept it. And we have to not do that. When Jesus went up to the fig tree, it said he answered the fig tree. Because he goes up there and he says, and Jesus answered and said, let no one eat fruit off of you ever again. He answered the fig tree. What did the fig tree say? <laughs> Must have said something. Don't accept. Here's the last one. And also by assumption. How many times have we made assumptions on things we thought were true? We found out later on they were not. So truth comes to us through what we hear, see, sense, intuition, what we accept, what's reported to us, and also by assumption. Now, it comes to us as truth. It may not be truth, but we accept it as truth. We take it as truth. If I think a thing to be true, is it? Well, it's true for me, isn't it? It may not be true at all, but it's true for me. I wrote this down during the service. You can write it down if you want. I know you don't have a whole lot of room, so if you brought extra paper with you, maybe you can uh, put that down in there. But I put this. Enemies of faith include knowledge void of truth and expectation without belief. Enemies of faith include knowledge void of truth and expectation without faith. Expectation without. Can you have expectation without faith? You sure can. How many of you as parents expect something from your children that you're not getting? Ever had that happen? Have you ever said, well, I expected they would do. How many times do you know parents who expect something from their kids, but they also say, well, I expected they would do. I expected by the time I get home, they'd do the dishes, but I really don't think they will. Right. How many of us have expectation of our boss without faith? Well, I expected that they would pay me for that day, but I don't think they will. What are we saying? I have expectation without faith. You can have expectation without faith. And expectation without faith is an enemy. Or expectation without belief is an enemy of faith. Because you're expecting, it's like there's faith, but it's not there. It's like Jesus came up to the fig tree. It looks like it should have fruit, but it didn't. And knowledge that is void of truth, that's an enemy to faith. Because faith is based on knowledge. Of the truth. If you base your faith on something that is not true, it will hurt you. If you go out on a rope bridge that's over a huge cavern, every once in a while, I don't know if you do this, I go up on the weather.com. If I need something a little more detailed, then I get on my phone for the weather. And sometimes they do these pictures. You ever seen some of those pictures they do up there? Uh, once in a while, I see one and they catch my interest. And the last one I saw, I think it was last week or something like that, they put up there. You could probably still find it if you went up there. The 10 most dangerous bridges in the world. Holy cow. <laughs> some of these bridges and some of these things, I mean, some of them are not made for cars. They're just for the brave people who venture 
to walk across. And they really have no other purpose than for you to be suspended high above the ravine below and just walk on through. And, and some of them were something. Some of them were nothing more than ropes. Some of them had little pieces of wood between the ropes. Not all of them did. And just suspended way up. Some of them would twist and turn. And you'd walk on them. And it depends on your fear of heights, you know, whether that would be a interest to you. Uh, I thought they looked pretty cool. <laughs> but you could look at some of those. Say that it wasn't one that, you know, had all the the safety people in the beginning and the end and all the checks and uh, all the stuff. That, say that you just came upon a rope bridge in a jungle. No real people around. No one's on the bridge. And you looked at that bridge and said, well, I've been on a rope bridge before. I expect it would hold me. And you just walked on out. Is You have faith that the bridge is going to hold you because otherwise you wouldn't have walked out in the bridge unless you believed that the bridge would hold you, right? But is it based on anything? How many times have you gotten in your car and the car is on empty? Well, I think I can make it to where I have to go. What's it based on? <laughs> Sometimes it's based on I have to make it where I have to go. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's just based on that. Faith needs to be based on truth. And if we have knowledge that is void of truth, it is an enemy of our faith. It will not help us. Our belief in these truths guides our life. So if the truth is false, our lives go in the wrong direction. If the truth is right, we go in a correct one. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. We'll get back over to our passage. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he's talking about a truth that he has received from God. This is where it came from. Came, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the Spirit of God, my Father who is in heaven. That's where it came from. So what he's asking him first is, who do men, who, what do you hear? What are people saying around you about who I am? Oh, that's easy. Uh, some people are out there saying you're John the Baptist. That'd be kind of funny because John the Baptist was around when Jesus was there. Imagine John the Baptist baptizing himself. That'd be pretty neat. Some Elijah. Well, that's the least guy who's dead. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? What we determined here is that the disciples, at least Peter, has a belief in something contrary to what others believe to what others have reported, to what others have said. He has, a, he has a belief contrary to that. So he is around other people and they've been talking. Who do you think this guy is? Well, I, th I think he's Elijah. No, I think he's just John the Baptist. Come back. And they're, they're talking about different things there. And Peter hears this. And inside Peter, 
Peter, no, no, I, 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 he's, he's the son of God. He's got, a, he's got something else going on. Once a truth is brought to light, we must, there's three things we're going to do here. Once a truth is brought to light. Once I have come to the knowledge of a truth, we must, first off, we could either accept and act on the truth. I can, once a truth is brought to me, I can accept it as truth and act on it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is only one verse. You can find a whole lot of them in there where the knowledge came, the belief came, they, or the knowledge came, they believed it, and they acted on it. Here, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this is one thing we can do. And we should do is when we hear a truth, we understand it as a truth that we accept it and act on it, that we accept it and that we act on it. Here's another thing that you could do. And this one's not bad either. Ponder and prove. Sometimes a truth comes to us and we need to ponder it a little bit. Wow, I think that's truth, but I got to think on this for a little while. You ever had a truth come to you like that? You can kind of say, I think this is true, but I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with it. I'm not really sure. Is, I mean, did this come from God? How is it going to affect my life? Ponder and prove. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is out of all the things that the angel had said about Jesus, about the birth, about the Savior. She kept all those things and pondered them. They were truth. She couldn't necessarily act on all of them. But she just kind of kept them in her heart and pondered them. Acts chapter 10. This is the big one. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry. You ever going up someplace on a porch, housetop, going someplace, and all of a sudden became very hungry? Sometimes hunger doesn't come on us naturally or, or gradually. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So he says, oh, man, I'm hungry. Oh, we'll go down and we'll make something to eat. So while they're downstairs making things ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again and second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, that's another way of saying pondered, isn't it? Now, while Peter pondered or wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen Meant he saw the vision. He's pretty sure it came from God, but I'm not real sure what to do with this. Don't know what to what I'm supposed to make of this whole thing. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. 
Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had seen, who had been sent to him by Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, were divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Jump down to verse 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Did you see any men in that sheet? What was he doing with the vision? Pondering it. Determine, okay, I think this is truth from God, but I'm not real sure what it is or what I'm supposed to do with it. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. So as soon as you sent for me, I came simply because I had this vision. Therefore, I came without objection as as soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Can you imagine getting a word from God? Now, at least there was a person there, an angel, and telling you who to call for, where they were, and what house they were in, and the occupation of the person who owned the house. That's pretty specific. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. What things did God command Peter to say? Peter, up to a little while ago, wasn't even sure he was supposed to go. He's pondering the whole idea of whether he should be going or not. But then look at what he does. Then Peter opened his mouth and said. I don't think he had anything to say until he opened his mouth. But Peter's done this before. He's opened his mouth and God's filled it. He opened it again and God filled it. All right, God wants me here, so he must have something for me to say. He could have just said, well, I don't got nothing. I just came here because I was supposed to come. What do you want me to do? I'm here. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he 
that it is He who was ordained by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets witness that though or that through His name whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins while Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So they received the Holy Spirit first and then were baptized with water. If you have a problem with that, take it up with God. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. That was quite, if you want to keep on reading into the next chapter, it's, it's a good story. You haven't read that for a while of how God moved. But here it was where truth was coming to Peter. But as it came in this form of a revelation, as he was in a trance, this vision that he saw, he didn't know what to do with it. So he pondered it. He thought on it for a while until it became clear what it meant. Ah, I understand the vision now. It's because I would have seen you as unclean. And God didn't want me to see any people as unclean. But that all things were clean. And so he used this as an example for me. Oh, all right, I can get that. So Peter wasn't shocked when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If that vision hadn't come to Peter, Peter's reaction might have been to cast out some demon spirits. I don't know. I'm just thinking that could have been what he, he would have done. But this is a, a thing that we should do when truth comes to us. We sometimes need to ponder and prove it. There are times we accept and act. But at times we need to ponder the truth and prove it. Understand, if you get a truth that needs to be pondered, before it can be acted upon, God gives it to you in plenty of time. He gave it to Peter in plenty of time. Now, we're only looking at minutes here. <laughs> but he had enough time to ponder it before the men came to the door. And to understand it before all that, that happened. Here's the third way we can do when truth comes to us. We can reject and refuse. We can reject and refuse. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some." When truth comes from God and we reject and refuse it, we will put ourselves on a course that is not good. These are two people who put themselves on that course because they took what was truth and they rejected it. They accepted truth that should not have been accepted. They rejected truth that should have been. And it put them on a bad course. And Paul talks about them, mentions them by name. There are others that Paul mentions by name that had gotten on a place, a course for shipwreck. I put this as a note. The worst we can do is to accept a truth and refuse to live by it or act on it. 
That is the absolute worst thing you can do. If you accept a thing as being truth from God and refuse to live by it or act on it, you are put in a place of direct disobedience to God. And that's not a place that you want to go down too long. You need to get that fixed. Take a look at Israel. What happened to them when they took truth? They accepted, all right, this God is God, but we're going to rebel and make up these other gods anyway. It didn't work out so well. So, let's get back to our original question here. We're laying the foundation. We're moving on here to, the, to what we wanted to do. What is great faith? What is great faith? Because we need to know what it is. I need to know how to recognize it. Jesus could. Two times he recognized in the New Testament. Other times he just called it faith. Sometimes he called it little faith. Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now you could accept a truth from these two things, but you would be wrong. The two people that he saw great faith in, both of them are not Jews. Both of them are Gentiles. You have the centurion and you have this Canaanite woman. You could come to the conclusion that God's people are not capable of great faith. You would be wrong. Because they are. You could come to the conclusion that Jewish people are not capable of great faith. But you would be wrong. Go to the book of Hebrews. You can come to some wrong conclusions on this. We want to make sure that we come to the right conclusions of what it is that made great faith. And we're going to compare both of these stories as well as some others. So Jesus calls her faith great. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Williams puts it this way. You must have what you desire. Go right back over to, Matthew, uh, to Mark chapter 7, verse 29. And he said to her, for, your, for this saying, go your way. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Why does the demon leave her daughter? It's real important for us to understand. Does Jesus do anything? For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. In either place, Matthew or here, does Jesus act against the demon? If Jesus doesn't act against the demon... And he says, for this saying, go your way, the demon is gone. Then what should we assume is the faith in? What she says. Does she say anything about the demon? No. Kind of makes it a little bit puzzling, doesn't it? So here we have. The woman heard the word from Jesus. She heard what Jesus said. What did Jesus say to her? Only thing he said to her before they were first starting. If the... The food's not intended for the dogs. It's meant for the children that sit at the table. Oh, that's true, Lord. But even the little dogs that are at the feet of the little kids, even they get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table because you know children aren't neat. Dogs know that children aren't neat. If you have a dog at home, whose chair do they sit under? The youngest one who takes their food and chose, throws it in all different directions. Some of it gets into their mouth, some of it gets on their clothes, and some of it falls down. The dog's not stupid. The dog knows to go to the place of greatest reward, and he knows that's where it's going to be. 
We just sit right over here. I don't have to beg. It just comes down. <laughs> when she heard the word from Jesus, here comes the word from Jesus. I am not called except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You cannot take the food that's meant for the children and give it to the little dogs. I can't take what was intended for the table and put it on the floor. She says, this is her statement. This is the thing that does it. This is the thing that turned her life around. Truth, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table. For this saying, he says. He says, first off, great is your faith. Great is your faith. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she had come to our house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. I guess it was unusual for her, for the demon, to be lying on the bed. <laughs> May have been going to other places. So the woman heard the word from Jesus. First off, she recognized the source. She recognized the source. And Jesus is going to speak truth. If Jesus speaks it, I will recognize it as truth. She recognized the source. Because of the source... Now, how many of you know if the Holy Spirit, if an angel, if Jesus himself showed up and spoke something to you, how many of you all know you're accepting it? All right. Our problem comes in is that we're not sure where the source came from. That's my whole problem. If I understood this came from God, I would accept it. But I have to figure it out. Did this come from God? Is this something that is this truth from God or is it truth from some other way? She recognized the source and she accepted it no matter what her emotions or intellect told her. This is huge. This is one of the biggest parts to understanding great faith is this second one. She accepted it no matter what her emotions or intellect told her. I cannot tell you how big this is for defining great faith. This is where it is. Now, the first great faith we saw was a man, a centurion. The second one with great faith we're looking at here is a... So if you are a person, if you are either a man or a woman, you can be capable of these things. If they were both men, we might say, well, women would have a hard time. <laughs> if they were both women, we might say, well, the men might have a hard time. But we don't have that. Two people, great faith, one's a man and one's a woman. Which means no matter what our state is emotionally, no matter what our makeup is, male or female, we are capable of doing what is said here. That's right. Amen. So you need to get off the, the, the thing that, well, I can't do that. Because you have accepted a truth that is not truth. And that will hold you back. She accepted no matter what her emotions told her. If you, if you have a daughter who is this tormented, that you are going to seek out Jesus who desires to be hidden. And as you continue to press into Jesus, he's ignoring you. And then when he finally does speak to you, it doesn't sound very nice. The disciples are saying, will you tell this woman to shut up? Will you tell this woman to go away? <clears throat> and she's hearing that. Now, how many of you folks know that can play on your emotions? That can get you emotionally involved. And this is your daughter at home who is in bad shape. How many know that can get you emotionally involved? That can get you to hear things differently. That can get you to 
want to get in Jesus' face. You, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know, you don't know how far I came. You, and we get emotional and we can, but she's not. She's detaching herself from it. She says, that's truth, Lord. Not necessarily something I may have known before here, but that's truth because you said it. I recognize the source. She recognized the source. She accepted it no matter what her emotions or intellect told her. And here's the third thing. She declared truth based upon it. She didn't argue. She declared a truth based upon that truth. She didn't argue with the truth that the bread was intended for the kids. She just said, you know what? The dogs get to eat the crumbs. And Jesus says, you go, girl. That's good. (laughs) That's right. All right, because of what you just said, you got it. She was able to make a faith statement apart from her emotions, despite all the factors that were trying to pull her emotions in. You see that? Mark chapter 14. Matthew, yes. Matthew chapter 14. Verse 28. Peter answered, talking about Peter walking on the water. We're just getting in the middle of the story here. If you want to get the full story, go home and read it on your own. Don't read it on your own now. I want you to see this part. This is huge. Peter answered him and said, because Jesus says, uh, it's just me. It's just me walking on the water. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. All right, if it is you, you tell me to come. I understand the source. I recognize the source. If you tell me to come, that will be truth. So he said, come. So if he says, come, that's what? Truth because of the source. The source said come, therefore what he is saying is truth. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of... Why did you doubt? Has anyone else ever walked on the water beside Jesus? This is it. No one else did it before. He's the only guy who did it. I think if, if how many of you all think if you got two steps walking on water, that's good. That's some faith. <laughs> that's all right. This is good. He, he probably had at least two steps. He walked on the water. You know, there, there's a certain amount of walking, certain amount of steps that are necessary in order for you to be considered walking. Otherwise, you are just standing. How many ever watch basketball? They have a, a, a penalty they call in basketball called traveling. It means you are walking with the basketball. Now, generally, you are allowed two steps before you launch yourself into the air and do whatever it is you're going to do. Shoot, dunk, whatever it is. going to. Generally, they let you two steps unless your name is Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. Kobe Bryant, and a few others. There are certain ones in the basketball world that are allowed an extra step over the others. If your name was, who's a a relative unknown, uh, I, I don't follow basketball a whole lot, but if you're one of the guys who's not one of the premier stars, if you take three steps or whatever the number of steps is that's considered traveling, they blow the whistle. Traveling. Because they have defined what it is 
the traveling is unless you go by a certain name in the basketball world. And, uh, and I'll tell you, just watch the game. It's true. Certain ones. It seems like they can walk, they can take sevens. They can walk from half court. They don't call. They just, it's just crazy. But a certain thing defines walking and not standing. So he had to take some steps. There were some steps he took that stayed, the feet stayed on the water before he began to sink. Jesus was not right next to the boat. He was a little ways off from the boat. And he was going to walk towards Jesus. So he walked some of the way to get there. Jesus caught him and brought him on up. What was it that got him, got him into problem? When he started off, don't, would you not consider him walking on water to be great faith? He saw the source. He accepted the truth. He acted or declared on that truth and, and walked on the water. That to me is the recipe of great faith. But what happened was the things that were going on around him began to work on his emotions. He didn't feel safe because of the wind and the waves. And they began to, he began to look around. Oh, I could get hurt out here. Something could happen to me. And he began to feel that, didn't he? And he, when he began to feel that, he began to sink. And so by the time Jesus comes up to him, he may have started out in great faith. But what does Jesus say? Oh, you started out in great faith. You were doing great. But no, no Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. I kind of want to raise my hand and say, wait a minute. Did you just see what I did? I stepped out of the boat. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. So even though he started out exactly like the other two, he didn't end up there. I put this in your outline. Great faith has moved completely. Great faith. We're talking about great faith. Great. Everybody say great faith. We're not just talking about normal faith, regular faith, or little faith. Great faith is moved completely. If you want to define this, you can put in there 100% totally nothing else but great faith is moved completely by spirit perception or revelation. And zero, everybody say zero, nada, none, whatever other word you want to put in there for nothing, zero. By natural perception or what happens around us. That is great faith. It takes nothing from the outside world. It takes everything from the inward revelation. That is great faith. Regular faith is affected by both. Regular faith is affected by what is going on in the natural and what is going on in the spirit? You want an example for that? We already looked at the story. My daughter is dying at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her and she will be healed. When the news came, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. What does Jesus do? Immediately, Jesus turned to him and says, do not fear. What would his fear be based on? The report that came in the natural. If he allowed his faith, which he was, allowing his faith to be affected by what was going on around him. He, and Jesus never said his faith was great, did he? Because he didn't have great faith. His faith was affected by what went on around him. 
The woman with the issue of blood, how would you describe her faith? If you say it is great, you would be wrong. Jesus never calls her faith great. There's a reason for it. These two people are in a class different from everybody else. Weak faith, regular faith is affected by both. Weak faith may start out in the first, but moves to the second before faith finishes its work. That's what Peter did, isn't it? He started out, but before faith could finish the work, what was the finished work? To walk out to where Jesus was. Not just to walk on water, but to walk out where Jesus was. He didn't get there. Hebrews 6, 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the... Don't stop in the middle. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta not quit. You know, there, there are some things that we take on and we kind of like to quit. How many of y'all know, ladies, having a baby? Was there a point in there you wanted to quit? <laughs> was, there, was there some point that happened that you I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. But you know, it don't, it's not, it don't work that way. Of <laughs> course, if, if it did, there'd be a lot of less people in the earth. People would have decided, nah, <laughs> nah, let's not do that. Second Thessalonians 1, 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Your faith grows exceedingly. If the faith is growing, it's becoming great. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. They had persecutions and tribulations that came at them because of their faith in heathen cities. But they, through patience and faith, continued. you got to have patience for that. Great faith has patience. It is not affected by the things that are going on outside. It's not affected by that. We've got to keep going. All right. Three things here. First off, you want to have great faith. Accept Truth revealed. When God reveals the truth to you through His Word, through the preaching of His Word, through the Spirit on the inside of you, through the light being turned on, however it is that truth has been revealed to you, accept it. Don't fight God. Recognize the source. All right, I don't quite understand this. I don't necessarily like this truth. This is going to make me uncomfortable, but I recognize the source and I will accept it as truth. doesn't stop there. Once you accept it, declare or act based upon it. Make a declaration, have an action based upon the truth that you have accepted. If you have accepted it as truth, it is worthy of you making a declaration or having an action. Number three, Depend on no natural stimulation. Great faith depends on nothing in the natural. You don't need to feel anything. You don't need to hear anything. You don't need to sense anything. It depends on nothing in the natural. Now, go back to our centurion. The centurion sent the first group there 
who were the elders. And they messed it up. They came in mercy and merit. People came back, probably, told him about it. So he got, instead of the elders of the Jews, uh, you guys, you guys know me. I can trust you. You go. Get this thing right. And they come on out and says, no, 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 no. You don't need to come under the roof. It's messed up. We don't need you to come under the roof. All we need you to do is to say the word. And then what does he speak? Because I too am a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another one, come, and he comes. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith. Why? Because he spoke on a revelation that he had, that I am a man under authority, and Jesus is a man under authority. He acts on that authority, and all he needs to do is speak the word. I don't need you to come lay your hand. I don't need the natural stimulus of you coming in here and laying your hands on them. That's something in the natural. Is it not? When Jesus walked into the city, of um, uh, he could do no more any work in Capernaum. Except that he did what? Laid his hands on a few sick people and they recovered. See, there's a physical action there. The woman with the issue of blood, the thing that kept her from being one of great faith, was she said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I need that physical part of touching. When I touch him, I know power will come out from him into me. The centurion says, there needs to be no touching here. This is all done in the spirit. And you have spiritual authority. If you say this thing, go, it has to go. I don't need to see you here. I don't need to see anything going on. Just say it. Just speak the word. That's all we needed. The woman with this daughter, I don't need nothing. I don't need you to come. I don't need you to follow me. I don't need you to touch anybody. And she she, she didn't need reassurance from Jesus. She didn't need Jesus to speak all kinds of nice words to her. And she kept coming after him with, she had great faith. Can you see the difference? Great faith depends on absolutely nothing in the natural. You don't need to see anything change. You don't need to feel anything change. You don't need people to encourage you. You don't need any of that. You just need the revelation from God that God said this to me in his word, by his spirit, through his angel, through whatever means he came and he said this to you. God said this to me. I accept it. I believe it. I declare it. I'll make some kind of action based on that. And I will depend on absolutely nothing in the natural. Therefore, when something in the natural comes that is apart from what you believe, you simply say, I don't need that. Because go back again over to Mark chapter 11, verse 22, 23, and 24. And he says, go to verse 23 of them. Pull it up on the screen. Mark 11, 23. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. Future. He will have whatever he says. Go to the next verse. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Great faith is faith that depends on nothing in the natural to see it. 
It has no time limit. It has nothing there. It simply says, God promised it to me and it will come. For Abraham, he waited 25 years. Joshua waited somewhere around half that, or, or Joseph waited somewhere around half that time. But what God said came about. If you put a time limit on God, you are automatically lowering your faith. Because great faith does not need anything in the natural. Nothing. I can go over more stories of this with you, but I hope you begin to do this in your own. You've heard many of the stories in the Word. You should be able to review these things. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's great faith. No, that's not great faith. Look, they're dependent on something in the natural. Great faith does not depend on a thing in the natural. It doesn't depend on what people say to you. It doesn't depend on what people do for you. It doesn't depend on what you see changed or not changed. It simply is based on the revelation that came to you from God, either through His Word, through His Spirit, whatever means it came to you. That revelation came. You believed it. You made a declaration or had some kind of action based on it. And you are not deterred from that declaration or that action by anything in the natural. That is great faith. Now, we may say, well, I'm just not there yet. That's okay. Do you know how many people got somewhere or in just a little faith? If that's what great faith is, then little faith has some of those traits. It's going to have some, may not have all, but it's going to have some of those traits. But that's our goal. If you want to give God something to work with, He can work with faith. And this is what He says. This, this is great faith. You give me this, I can do all sorts of stuff. I can, we can, we, wow, the stuff we can do. It's unbelievable. But you can, you have to wean yourself off of anything from the natural. You got to wean yourself off of it. You got to stop needing it. You got to stop going to the doctor and waiting to hear that good report. You got to stop going into work and waiting for them to tell you they got a raise. You, you got to stop all the things and waiting for all those things. The natural is going to change, but you got to stop depending on it. That's all. You got to stop depending on it. And what you had to do 100% to get your emotions out of the way. And women, don't tell me you can't do this. Because I just showed you an example of a woman who did. And her daughter was involved. You got to know that's ripping at your heart. And she did it. She did it. The woman with the issue of blood, she had faith. She did not have little faith. She had faith. But this woman had great faith. Centurion had great faith. They're with, that's what we should emulate. That's what we should go after. Faith that is not dependent on anything in the natural. Three things. Accept truth revealed. Declare or act based upon it. Have a declaration. Have an action based upon it. And depend on no natural stimulation for that to change. Now, let me tell you this part. In your life, there is going to come a time, more than likely, when great faith is necessary for life or death. More than likely, somewhere in your life, great faith is going to be necessary for life or for death. You have had ample opportunities along your way to develop yourself and wean yourself off of little or weak faith. 
and move yourself into great faith. If you refuse those opportunities, when the opportunity comes, when the situation comes that is coming, you will not be ready. I can give you a lot of case and points about it, but this one you all know about. We don't have to get into it too much. Israel wandered through the wilderness. They ran out of water. They ran out of food. They had an army. They had how many different things that came against them. How much faith did they have? No faith at all. You can even call it little faith. Every time something in the natural changed, they were crying. And God kept bringing them on through. And they saw the deliverance. And they saw the deliverance. And they saw water come from rock, bread come from heaven. uh, Red seas open up. Armies be destroyed. Cloud, pillar of, of cloud by day. Or a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Awesome things. And when they came to the promised land and God said, this is, this is the day. I've been getting you ready for this. And they saw it and they said, oh, we can't do it. There's giants in the land. A natural thing. And God said, that's it. I'm done with you guys. Let's move on to the next ones. You will all die in the wilderness. Come a time in our life where great faith may be necessary for life or death. Whether you are ready or not depends on the little things that come up in your life before to get you ready. God says, here's all these little things that are going to come against you, but you can grow and you can overcome. And when you get to this spot, you will win. Are you ready for some great faith? Are you ready to move into that realm? Because you can do it. You've got to tell yourself, first of all, I can do it. I can. This Canaanite woman who didn't get teaching from the Word of God on a regular basis, she did it. This centurion, he did it. Why can't I do it? I've been hearing the Word for how many years now? I've been meditating on the Word, growing in the Word. Surely, it's there for you. But we've got to get... we got to put the effort out. We've got to get ourselves ready. How many of y'all know the natural has too much of a hold? I depend, it affects me too much. I get a change in the natural. I get a condition. I get a report in the natural and it throws me. How many of y'all know it's, we've been there with that? It takes you a little while to get your emotions back up and get to a place. That's not great faith. Great faith is completely unaffected by it. I hope in the afternoon you can just sit back and meditate. You're going to find a whole lot of people who will fit the definition of great faith apart from the life of Jesus before and after. Old Testament saints, the New Testament church saints, you're going to find some in there that are unaffected by what went on around them. There are people also of great faith. Jesus just wasn't there to call it great faith, but he gave us the indications. He told us this is what makes great faith. This is what it is. And you can tell what it is. You know the ingredients. You can, you can tell. If I walk into a restaurant and they say, what would you like to drink, sir? And I say, Diet Coke. And they bring me a Diet Pepsi. In one sip, I know this is not Diet Coke. How dare you bring me a Diet Pepsi? Most of the people announce it. But, you know, we can tell. If you like Pepsi, you know if they brought you a Coke. Because you can, you can tell the difference between the two. If you have something that you were expecting and they bring you something different, can't you tell the difference? There's a difference between great faith and faith. There's a difference from faith and little faith. 
Let's walk in it. Let's get ourselves ready. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In your word, you gave us two people that you identified for us. These are people of great faith. There is something about them that is unique. There is something about them that is different from the other things. As we meditate on these stories, I thank you that you'd help this become a great reality to us. That we can walk the same way they were walking. Do the same things they were doing. That we can accept truth. Make a declaration or an action based upon that truth. And not have it be affected in any way. By the things that are going on around us. Even when they come in to say your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? We understand Jesus' reaction. Don't fear. Don't let that affect you. Stay in that place of faith. Give me something to work with. And we will change things. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. The things that we're facing this week are all tools that you will use to get us closer to that place. We can learn. We're going to have some times we're going to let the natural affect us a little more than it should. But we're going to learn. All right. That affected me a little more. It kind of pulled me down under the water there. But all right, I'm learning. I'm learning how to not let that happen. We have an expectation of things to change. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.